0: Welcome to Seeing Beyond Risk, the podcast series from the Canadian Institute of Actuaries. I'm Chris Pivoli, Staff Actuary Communications and Public Affairs at the CIA. From time to time, we like to feature actuaries who have gone on to fill interesting and important roles. And today we'll be speaking with Barb Zivan, a CIA member who also serves as President and CEO of the University Pension Plan of Ontario. Thanks very much for joining us on the podcast today.
1: Thanks for having me here, Chris, and it's great to be here.
0: It's great. Well, let's start off, maybe just give us a brief overview of your actuarial career. How did you get into actuarial science? And you also spent uh, some time with the uh, Ontario Teachers Pension Plan. So talk to us about your experience from, from getting into the career to where you were recently.
1: So maybe if I go back, now, as a young person, I really enjoyed the math and the sciences, but in particular, I really enjoyed the math. So I didn't actually know where that was going to lead me, but I figured a bit of combo of hard work and education will kind of figure itself out. I didn't go to traditional university with an AXI program at the time, and I was at McMaster, and a professor just kind of said, hey, you should kind of think about writing these exams. And I did, and I appeared on some list and I ended up being a student at Mercer, which was a great experience, you know, the first real business experience. And then during my master's program, I started getting interested in investments and finance. And at that time, the actual exams started to bring in the investment track. And post-master's, I ended up at one of the banks and I started pricing currency options. So this was like the early days of financial mathematics. And, you know, it just didn't feel like the right fit for me. It was a very narrow topic and, you know, you were trying to solve very particular problems. And then I started seeing Ontario teachers in the newspaper. And if you recall, the first CEO was Claude Lamoureux. And he was talking about what he was doing and it kind of checked all the boxes, you know, enabled me to leverage my actual interests and my investment interests. And Claude spoke truly as a visionary about what he was trying to do at Teachers. So I kind of jumped at the chance of going there, my first junior role, and it was about 1995 which will date myself. And I started as an assistant portfolio manager in a team called Research and Economics. And I have to say it was an absolutely great journey. I was always working on really interesting challenges. And I would say a common thread, you know, on the type of work I did without getting into the long list. It was like big picture issues. Like the first effort was, you know, internalize their asset liability model, which, you know, with my background, like that was a dream first assignment, which led me initially contributing to the development of the annual investment plans to years later, leading the development of those investment plans, you know, and, Everyone thinks of Ontario teachers as it is today, but I have to tell you, like in the 1990s when it first started, it was seeded with 100% bonds, and these bonds were deemed non-marketable, so you couldn't sell them. So that was a huge constraint, which brought a lot of creativity, I think, as the benefit. And eventually, we got the portfolio into new asset classes. They were globally diverse, including real assets. We had liability-driven programs, and we started incorporating leverage, which was unique for many pension plans. You know, I got to work on things like, you know, a risk budgeting framework that spurred active management strategies. I got to work with the partners or Ontario Teachers Federation and Ontario government who are a key part of the governance, you know, and they made the big kind of picture decisions on the contribution rates and the benefits, which really impacts the long-term sustainability of the plan. You know, and then you think, I was there through the global financial crisis and I was asked to serve as the chief investment risk officer afterwards. And if you think of the financial institutions after 08, we had significant projects in place to enhance the risk measurement capability, the advancement of the risk culture. I was asked to join the executive leadership team at that time. And then with all the big picture issues and risk lens, you know, you started understanding the environmental, social, or governance, or ESG issues and started getting involved in sustainability and climate change. And through all that, the great part was also there was a great community of pension plans you know, locally and globally that you got to network, share and learn from. So just a fabulous journey through that organization.
0: Great. And now you're currently the president and CEO of the University Pension Plan of Ontario. You've been in that role for a couple of years. Can you share with us some of the challenges you have faced in that role, both personally and also in your day to day activities and some of the things that have been happening with the University Pension Plan?
1: Sure. So maybe it's just a brief history of the University Pension Plan, or UPP for short. So it's relatively new, as you noted. So it's a jointly sponsored defined benefit pension plan. So the employer and employees share the governance and share the risk. You know, it's relatively new. It started July 1st, 2021, but the process of creating it with those employer and employee groups started about 10 years ago, actually. And when you looked at the university sector, so you think of it, it was probably post 2008. And when they were looking at their pension plans, they were in different financial states. They had different designs. Some universities had and still do have more than one. And so discussions began through what's amazing is university administrators, the faculties and unions saying, if we had a white sheet of paper, what might we look for in a pension plan, and that's what they created UPP to be. And they really tried to emulate the best of the Canadian model, but I would say the midsize So we have three founding universities that went live on July 1, 2021, which is Queen's University of Toronto and University of Guelph. And today we have 16 participating organizations from four universities. They're all related to the university sector. We have about 37,000 members and about 12 billion in assets. When you look like that was a lot of perseverance and courage to do that. And so we try to honor that spirit. And our goal at the end of the day is we want to build this pension plan for scale. we members to be proud and we want to give other universities a reason to join, really to give more and more retirement security and stability to more groups of people. But your question was about challenges. So I started one year before launch in July 2020. So right kind of at the start of COVID, it was me, myself and I. So there's no office. There was no phone. It was not a stapler. We hadn't even gotten all the regulatory approvals yet. So it was really a clean sheet of what to do. And I can honestly say it's really incredibly hard to get a bank account without a lawyer, a CFO, an office or phone number. But we managed to get that started. In terms of, it was in the middle of the pandemic. So just like the rest of the world, myself, my team that was starting to grow, we had to learn how to do everything virtually. But what was a little bit unique for UPPs Teams that left organizations and went home kind of knew each other. We actually had a whole new group of people that didn't even know each other that had to work virtually. To put that in perspective, I did a Globe and Mail article. My comment was I didn't know who was the shortest or who was the tallest. So the group actually at the time went to a park, paced themselves six feet apart, took a photo to let me know who was shortest and who was tallest. So just interesting that we had never met in person before. Another thing was we had unmissable deadlines of July 1st, 2021. So as I said, we had one year to get ready, which was, you know, quite the feat in making sure that everyone stayed focused on what were the most important things we had to do to be ready. So that is kind of organizational. And then when it comes to individuals, you know, when you move from being in a role to becoming a CEO, the one thing I would say, you you move from having one boss to having a full board So you end up spending a lot of time with your whole board. And for us, they were also brand new. And they also had to work through the fact that everything was new, absolutely everything. We didn't have one policy written, one framework, any controls. So in 2021, to give you a sense, we had almost 80 board meetings. And this year it will be about 60. And hopefully next year will be a lot fewer now that we have a really strong foundation in place They, too, had to work, barely knew each other, and they had to go work virtually. And I would say another challenge which became obvious over time is we had this brand new team, and they came with a variety of professional backgrounds. So some came from large plans, some came from smaller organizations, and we had to kind of figure out how to do things. And ended up that meant that we had to be, as leaders myself, really accessible to kind of get everyone figuring out, okay, this is the way that we're going to do it. So a lot more time maybe than I expected at the beginning, but again, totally a fun journey, you know, really kind of bringing the early days of Ontario teachers to UPP. But I would say, with the fast-forward
0: button on. Yeah, it certainly was an interesting time to to launch a new initiative like that. And of course, now we're feeling the after-effects of the pandemic with inflation and, you know, not knowing how the economy is going to react to that. So, So how do you and your team respond to disruptions like that in managing your activities?
1: You know, as a pension fund, you have to take the longer view of risk and opportunity. Fortunately, the fund is quite well diversified to help withstand volatility in the shorter term, which was great in the assets that we inherited from the founding universities. And the framing that we have placed around our investment strategy is not about predicting for the future. It's really about trying to build resiliency into the portfolio and trying to think of, you know, maybe what are the things that worked for the last 15 years or something and wouldn't apply for the next 15. So that's a big theme when you're trying to manage pension plans. And so through this program, you know, we did, you know, a deep dive into everything that we inherited. We went through all the external managers. We did an AL study pretty much from starting as soon as I began. And we got some really good insights about how you move from a single employer pension plan to a jointly sponsored pension plan. We made some changes that hopefully was for the better. And then on a longer term front, again, one being opportunity to increase our private market exposure. So knowing the role of this asset class for so many pension plans, we decided to invest in those capabilities early, and hopefully, we'll have some announcements in the not too distant future about that in terms of opportunities. And, and really trying to scale up our inflation hedging as, as well. So, lots of things that I can't mention very specific details, but really trying to take advantage of the scale that we have and, and actually an, a nice sized team to focus on these challenges. And really, the other thing we could do, because we inherited three portfolios that we immediately took advantage of, is cost savings. So, you know, we had sometimes three of something that we only needed one of, and we could negotiate better fees, which was also benefiting our members.
0: OK, well, let's take a step back and talk a little bit about your actuarial training. I'd like to get at uh, how you feel that's been an asset to you throughout your career. And at the same time, can you talk a bit about how actuaries are perceived amongst the people you work with that are outside of the profession?
1: So maybe I'll relate it back to why I chose the path. So I like the fact that as actuaries, you're solving real world problems really that affect society. So if you think about an individual, like as a pension plan, we're providing retirement security. Someone in insurance helps them not to worry if something happens in their life in terms of being able, for example, taking care of themselves or loved ones. And if you can provide these things well as a society, it just makes the society better and richer. And so the purpose-driven nature of it is really attractive. So, I think combine that with the fact with the actual training, I think the one thing it does absolutely superbly is naturally making you think long term. When you think about life insurance, you think about pensions, it's all about the long term. When you're back in school, you're doing present values for long into the history. And then you start thinking about risk and risk in the terms of the long term. So I think that mindset and instilling it early in someone's career is, is really important and it never leaves you. Now, actuaries, as a perceived, I would say definitely is a smart group and definitely a group with integrity and purpose, kind of going to where I started. I would say a very committed group, not scared of hard work or rolling up the sleeves. Definitely evident by the fact that to get into this profession, you have to pass quite a few exams. I think my first boss called me masochistic for doing all those. And I think people often would have images of actuaries in a meeting. And, you know, I've seen this myself where everyone is whipping out their calculators, that type of thing. But generally as a group, as a smart group, and as a group that really has a lot of integrity and
0: purpose. That's good. Now, A few minutes ago, you mentioned that you had something like 80 board meetings in the, in the first year setting up the pension plan. But I do know that you've worked on other boards of directors. And I'm just kind of curious, what skills do you think you were able to develop by having that experience? And if any other actuaries would like to get into that? What suggestions do you have for them?
1: With a board member, it's really a shift, right? Because a board member's primary role is oversight not doing, right? So it's a clear shift from a management role. And so sometimes it does take a bit of practice and training. And, you know, when you think about a board, you know, it's a group of people generally from diverse backgrounds and skills. And I think one thing that's really important around being on a board is the ability to Bring together those different skills to really listen to what your other board members are saying and adding, helping build the consensus, which often means it's not 100% everybody agrees, but where can you get to a consensus and get to a decision to help and support management? Because you really do want to enable management to move forward. You know as a board member you have to contribute. You gotta be in there actively and being very positive. And as a chair in particular, which I've had the privilege of being, is about navigating that boardroom, kind of being the conductor to help orchestrate that consensus. So I think that ability to listen and figure out where do we get to as a consensus to support management is a really important part of what a board does. And I would also say that Board members, one thing I often say is, you know, your most powerful tool is the questions that you ask. You know, when you're in the management role, you can ask lots of questions, but as a board member, it's really key to think, okay, what are those key questions at the board meeting I'm going to ask that will make a difference? And if you're preparing for a board meeting, that's a good way to think about the material. Honestly, governance isn't a topic you typically get trained on as an actuary. Fortunately, there's a lot of great material out there, best practices and things like that. So good resources like the Canadian Coalition for Good Governance, or that's a, a mouthful, so look for CCGG. You know, it has so it's guidance on like high-performing boards and the ENS kind of director guidebook. You also can take courses. So there's Director's College or ICD, and they're really helpful because they provide you kind of the theory and the foundation behind a board and how it works. They're usually based off peer learning, off of cases. So it's a great peer learning environment. And I would say the best way to start is to pick a volunteer board. The first one I started was the Pension Investment Association of Canada. So friendly board, lots of great peers, a topic that you know well, and it really helps you, you know, start building those board skills. And then after getting a little bit of experience, you can start taking some of the courses and just work your way up into more complex organizations.
0: Well, before we wrap up, I wanted to mention that recently the Globe and Mail announced that you were selected as one of the top five CEOs of 2022. Can you give us a little bit of uh, more information about that honor?
1: Yeah, so I was, you know, really surprised because I found out through an email and really honored. It was really, I think, an acknowledgement of all the hard work and dedication of everyone at UPP to build our organization, you know, with a clear and committed purpose. So yeah, you know, we were building from the ground up, as you know, like through COVID, through some rough times. And I was pretty pleased that we were able to bring a team together and align them on the system kind of level, sustainable investing kind of approach which is also an area I've dedicated a lot of my time, which I think they also picked up on, which has really demonstrated the power of collaboration. So the Globe notes, the one award I have out of the five is the Corporate Citizen Award. It's, it's about the idea that when doing businesses can do well by doing good, and I truly believe that. And everything we do at UPP is about funding a secure pension for members into the future. On the sustainability side, that means there needs to be a planet and economy for the members to retire into. And we, we just see all these topics as interrelated. And I think that's where the citizen aspect comes in. We're hoping to create unique value for our members and hopefully work with like-minded peers to amplify that impact. So kind of a long answer to the word is about the idea that businesses can do well by doing good. And I think pension plans are really well suited for that.
0: That's great. Well, congratulations on that. And thank you very much for coming to speak to us on the podcast today. And just a quick postscript. Subsequent to the recording of this episode, it was announced that Barbara was named overall CEO of the year. So congratulations on that honor. If you enjoyed today's conversation, please subscribe to our podcast and catch up on prior episodes. As well, if you have ideas for a future episode or would like to contribute to our Seeing Beyond Risk blog, we would love to hear from you. Contact information can be found in the show description. Until next time, I'm Chris Fivoli, and thank you for tuning in to Seeing Beyond Risk.